Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. If you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome, and today is an exciting day because it is groundbreaking Sunday, and I'm gonna talk more about that here in just a little bit. But also, we're in week two of our series, It's Complicated on Relationships, and I think this is a series that our culture definitely needs right now. So we are excited that you're here. And I also wanna welcome in our online family as well as our modern hymn service. Glad you guys are joining us today. And I just looked, and online we have Katie and Nashville. We have John from Fire Station 20 in Tulsa. And also Miss Gloria is watching us uh, this morning. She washes with us every Sunday from home. And I know we have a whole bunch of other people as well. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Get loud. Welcome in our online family. So glad you guys are joining us today. And as we get started, I just want to draw your attention back to an Instagram account that I have mentioned before in sermons. There's this account called Miserable Men. And I've talked about this before because people post pictures of men who go shopping with their wives or girlfriends and they don't wanna be there. And I love these pictures and every now and then I just have to see the latest pictures that people have posted. And so I saw some new ones the other day, thought I'd share them with you. Here's one. This guy right here, uh, he just decided, I guess, to make a seat in the drink aisle, which, you know, who doesn't want to do that when you're bored in the store, right? How about this example right here? This guy, he just took his shoes off in the mall like he was tired of waiting on his wife, and so he just decided to just make himself at home, I guess. Why not? I love this one right here because this guy looks like he's being punished, but if you look even closer, there's another dude behind him. I'm not sure if you saw that guy, but he's even more miserable. You know, misery loves company, right? How about this picture right here? Yeah, this guy climbed up on a shelf, I guess in a Walmart or somewhere, and decided to just make himself at home, read a book or something. Why not? But this is my favorite. This guy right here, he just gave up. You know, he's like, I'm done. I'm just gonna use my wife's bag as a pillow. I'm gonna take a nap. Miserable men. Now, here's my question. Why do these fellas go shopping with their wives? We can tell they really don't want to be there. Well, it's complicated, right? I mean, relationships are complicated, but for some reason, these men thought that it was worth it, being there with their wives. And I think deep down, even though we all know that relationships are complicated and hard at times, deep down, there's something that tells us they're worth it. They're worth sacrifice. They're worth being uncomfortable at times. They're worth giving up things that we even enjoy in order to lift up somebody else that we care about or love. They're worth it. And I think we know that they are worth it deep down because we were wired for relationships. In fact, God never intended us to do life alone. He didn't create us to do life alone. God knows that we are better together, and that's why the Bible says this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. We are truly better together. We are not at our best when we are alone. And God wove within the fabric of our DNA the need for human connection, the need for one another. See, God is a relational God, and he created us, you and me, in his image. So what that means is at our very core, we need connection. We need one another. We need relationships. And so God designed things like marriage 
and friendship and the family and community, you name it. He designed these relationships for us to have in life so that we would not be alone. He designed these things for our good. But see, we have an enemy, Satan, who loves to hijack what God intended for our good. And because Satan oftentimes hijacks what God intended for our good, whether that be a friendship or marriage or family life or whatever, relationships are just complicated at times. Sometimes they're really, really hard and difficult. Sometimes they're a struggle. And before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge that I know that there are some people listening to this message today who are in some type of relationship, whether it be a friendship, marriage, family relationship, whatever, and you're hanging on by a thread right now. And we just wanna let you know, as a church, it's okay to admit that. And we love you, and we are here for you. All relationships struggle at times, some worse than others. But it's okay to admit that you're not okay. This is a place, this is a family where it's okay to admit you're not okay because it's only when we admit that we're not okay that God can come in and help us. And so we're here for you and we wanna help you in any way that we possibly can because I know right now as I speak, there are those of you who are in some type of relationship that is struggling and we wanna give you some hope and that's what this series is all about because God has the power to revolutionize any relationship. See, just a few weeks ago, it was Easter Sunday, we talked about the resurrection, how God can breathe life into what's dead. That's not just true when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus or even when it comes to our own spiritual lives. It's also true about our relationships as well. God has the power to breathe new life into any relationship that we're in as long as we let him and we decide to do it his way. We put aside trying to figure out how to do this relationship on our own and listening to what the other voices in this world say, but we actually listen to him because he, as the designer of relationships, knows what is truly best for us. Because our relationships will never be all that they were intended and created to be until they are done God's way, until they're carried out his way. And that's why I think this series is so important right now because whether we realize it or not, when it comes to relationships, drift happens. It does. It happens in life and it happens in our relationships. Drift happens. I have a friend named Ben I think he preaches at a really large church in the northeast part of the country. And his extended family, they own a cabin on a lake in Minnesota, and they go there every year for a vacation. And I heard him tell a story that a few years ago, he was, one summer, he was at his cabin with his family, and he decided to get into a little boat, kind of like this one, and go out on the lake, I'm gonna fall over here, uh, go out on the lake late at night. Well, not late at night, actually, as the sun was just setting, because it was peaceful, and it was calm, and he just wanted to relax as he watched the sun set. And so he was out there on the lake just enjoying himself. And then as the water started to rock the boat just a little bit, you know, just slightly, and the sun was setting, it got dark, he decided to lay his head back, and he fell asleep. He didn't mean to, but he fell asleep in the middle of the lake. And he was asleep for over an hour before he woke up. And when he woke up, 
He said that he was on the other side of the lake from where his cabin was. He was wedged underneath a tree, his boat was, and he was next to this dock. He had no idea where he was. He woke up totally disoriented, and he kept thinking, where am I and how did I get here? Drift happens. And it doesn't just happen on a lake. It can also happen in life. It can happen in our relationships as well, especially when we're not paying attention especially when we fall asleep. And we live in a world today where the currents of this culture are constantly trying to pull us and push us away from where God wants us to be. But here's the thing, the Bible tells us that there is an answer for the currents of this culture that are trying to push us in the wrong direction. It's called anchoring ourselves to God. See, if my friend Ben had dropped one of these, well, he would have not have gone to the wrong side of the lake, right? He would have stayed put. And God is our anchor. Because you see, we were created to do life primarily with him. And when he is our primary relationship in life, when we stay anchored to him, he shows us what true love looks like. He shows us what true relational satisfaction looks like, what loyalty looks like, what help and support looks like. He shows us what a relationship is supposed to be. And when we stay anchored to him, even though the currents of our culture may push us in different directions, we can stay centered. We can stay attached to him. But a life that is unanchored to God will end up where we never wanted it to be. See, God made us to live in relationship with him. We were created to live with him. And that's why the Psalms say this. They declare, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Deep down in all of our souls is this desire, this longing for the God who created us because he created us to do life with him. And you may not agree with that statement that our souls long for God, thirst for him. You may not believe that. You may not think it's true, but it doesn't change the fact that it is. And I've known a whole lot of people who have tried to fill their lives, anchor their lives to other things, Money, possessions, status, a career, maybe sex, drugs, some other temptation. They try to anchor their lives to those things, but the current just takes them away because it's not the support, it's not the anchor that they need to keep them where they need to be. We can try to fill ourselves with influence, possessions, money, Sex, Netflix, Hulu, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. But could it be that the reason why so many times we are frustrated in our relationships and life is because we have disconnected ourselves from the one who is able to breathe life into our relationships? And I think maybe that's why over the past few years, we've really witnessed relationships in our culture struggle. We see marriages struggling like never before. Friendships are falling apart. Families are fighting. Communities are full of hate and violence. Why is it that we're seeing all this increase of disconnection in our relationships? Maybe it's because we've disconnected ourselves from the source of life. You ever watch the news or maybe you get on your phone and read the news or whatever and you just read story after story or hear story after story and you just get discouraged, just get down like, man, our world is 
messed up. And I heard a wise person say just the other day that we need to be aware that when we watch the news, that the news media looks at life as if God doesn't exist. When the news media reports the news that's going on in our world, they're reporting current events as if God doesn't exist. From man's perspective, that's what we see. And so whenever we hear what's going on in our world, it's not that we don't want to be informed, but we don't allow for that perspective to infect us. Because we are informed about what's going on in our world, but we see things differently because we are seeing current events through the lens of God, through the lens of faith. Because we know that as bad as things may seem, and as evil as men at times may be, and as discouraging as the news may be, we know that there is a God who is bigger than all that. We know there's a God who is greater than any problem that exists in this world. He is all-powerful. He is in control. He has a plan for our lives, and we place our trust in him. And so when we watch the news and everybody else gets discouraged and worried and upset, we turn to God because we know God has a plan. But the world, they see life with God being absent from it. And that's how a lot of people look at their relationships. They try to do relationships as if God doesn't exist. The world does relationships as if God isn't a factor. And so they just try to figure out on their own. And because they're not turning back to the one who designed relationships in the first place, those relationships over time become toxic. Maybe that's why, according to recent studies, one out of four Americans have cut off ties with a family member due to a recent rift. In the past few years, one out of four Americans say that they have permanently cut off ties with a family member because of a recent rift. What about this stat right here? The percentage of men in our culture who claim to have a small group of close friends fell by half since 1990 to today, from 55% to 27%. Just a few years ago, men had closer friends than what they do now. That's a dramatic drop. What about this stat right here? One in three married couples in our culture today say that the health of their marriage is in serious trouble. Serious trouble. One out of three. That means that right now in this room, if you've got three married couples sitting beside one another, one out of those three couples would tell you, according to the stats, that their marriage is in serious trouble. Or how about this one right here? Between ages 18 and 36, only 33% of those within that age group feel deeply cared for by those around them. That means that two-thirds don't feel deeply cared about. And only 32% feel that someone actually believes in them. Those are sad stats. Now again, the world would look at those stats and just say, boy, man, that really stings. Our world is messed up. I don't know what we're gonna do. But we look at those stats and say, that's not how it has to be. Because we know even though that's the direction that the culture is taking us, that's what the world offers us, we know that when we anchor ourselves to the source of life and he is our primary relationship, that he can breathe life into every relationship we have when we start to do it his way. 
That's why the Bible gives us this promise in Philippians. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In your relationships, when you have the same mindset as Jesus, when he is your example, when he is your model, that's the key to having healthy relationships. It doesn't mean that every relationship is gonna be perfect. Not on this side of heaven. We live in a fallen, messed up world. But it means that we will realize the true worth and value of those relationships when we model them on our relationship with Jesus. Because our relationships will never be more deep, meaningful, or satisfying than our relationship with God. So here's my question today. How are you and God? Because maybe the reason why your marriage is struggling, or you have a friendship that's become toxic, or your family is going through what they're going through, Maybe because you're at war right now with a neighbor or a coworker or whatever. Maybe the reason why you're having those issues is because there's something missing when it comes to your relationship with God. And drift has happened. And there's an example of this that we read about in Scripture. There are tons of examples of this in Scripture, but one example that I want for us to look at today is, the, is an example that's found in Luke chapter 10. And it has to do with some of Jesus' closest friends outside of his group of disciples. See, outside of Jesus' disciples, his closest friends were some siblings known as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus knew this, uh, these siblings for some time. He was very close to this family. He often spent time in their home with his disciples. He would eat there. He would spend the night there when he would be going through Bethany. Uh, he would oftentimes teach from there. Apparently, they had a really big home, so a lot of people could gather there and listen to Jesus teach. Jesus spent a lot of time with this family. And we're going to look at one of those times when Jesus... Jesus is there in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Jesus is teaching, and what we quickly find out is there is some family tension and frustration that is developed. So let's read and see what happens. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Jesus is teaching, remember? But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. There's a lot of people in her house right now. She came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So we see sibling issues happen way back in Bible times as well. You know, so if you got kids that fight, it's nothing new. It's been happening since the very beginning. Go back to Cain and Abel, right? I mean, siblings don't always get along. Now, what you need to know is Mary and Martha very much love one another. We see other passages in Scripture where they are there for one another. They are close. They love one another. But in this moment, there's some tension. In this moment, there's some frustration. So much so that as we read on in the passage, it says that Martha is upset. She's angry. She's mad that Mary isn't helping her. And she's also mad that Jesus isn't forcing Mary to help her. And this is interesting because, again, again, Mary and Martha love one another. Martha loves Mary. Mary loves her. And Martha loves Jesus. Martha believes Jesus is either a prophet sent from God or maybe even the Messiah. And yet in this moment, in her frustration, she gets so upset, so mad, that not only does she, does she show herself in front of the company, but she snaps at Jesus. And she says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, come on. Of course Jesus cares. Martha knows that, right? 
But sometimes when we get frustrated, we don't think straight. Just imagine how this played out. You know, Martha's working. She's got all these people in her house. Jesus there, his disciples there, probably people from their community are there. And hospitality is extremely important in this culture because if you are not a proper host to your guests, then shame could be cast upon your entire family in this culture. It was a big, big deal. And so Martha knows she's got all these guests, all this company in her house. She needs to make sure that everything is perfect so that none of her neighbors talk about her. None of her community members think negatively about her. And so she's working very, very hard, and Jesus is teaching in the house, and Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, hanging on his every word, and Martha gets more and more frustrated. Can you just imagine? You know, Martha starts to like make noise in the kitchen, right? Because she wants to get Mary's attention. She starts to clang some pots and pans together or something like, hey, Mary, I'm over here. Remember me? And Mary doesn't take the hint. So then as Martha's walking in and out of the room, she starts to maybe groan a little bit or, you know, grunt, make some noises, maybe even make some comments like, oh, I'm so tired. This is so much work. She's trying to drop hints. Mary's not picking up on any of the hints. And then eventually, I'm sure Martha starts to give her the death stare. You guys ever experienced the death stare before? Like, come help me now. And still, Mary, she's just oblivious. She's focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. And so eventually, Martha blows up. And in front of the company, in front of the guests, in front of Jesus, she's mad at Mary, but she talks to Jesus. She doesn't talk to Mary. And she says, Lord, don't you care? Of course Jesus cares. She snaps about Mary, but she snaps at Jesus. Now, we might think, if we had never read this passage before, that Jesus would side with Martha. Martha is working hard. She is doing a whole lot. And Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus talk. I mean, we might think, if we'd never read this passage before, that Jesus would side with Martha, but he doesn't. Look at what happens. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried, stressed out, anxious, worried and upset, angry, mad about many things, but only one thing. Is needed. Only one thing is important. And Mary, she's chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, why does Jesus respond in this way? Why doesn't Jesus side with Martha? I mean, again, we might think that he would. Well, the passage tells us it says Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. That word distracted in Greek, it means to draw away, to pull something away from something else. Let me ask you, in this moment, as this scene is playing out, what is Martha being pulled away from? Jesus. See, here's the point. There's nothing wrong with serving a great meal for your guest. There's nothing wrong with making sure all the preparations are right. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a good hostess. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But what's most important, what's most important is that Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, is sitting in Martha's home, teaching the plans and the purposes of God, and Martha is missing it. There's nothing wrong with having all the preparations made, and fixing a great meal. That is good, but there is something more important going on right now, and Martha is missing it. She's putting good things above what's ultimate. She's turning good things 
into ultimate things. And when you do that, when you turn good things into ultimate things, it becomes a destructive thing. See, why is that Mary wanted to be there? Because she knew who Jesus was. And you don't get the Messiah in your home every day, right? And she wanted to hang on his every word. Martha, however, apparently she thought that having a nice meal was better than listening to Jesus. And what good is it if you serve the best meal feast ever, but you miss Jesus? What good is it if all the preparations are perfect, but you miss Jesus? What good is it if everybody in your community looks at you and says, oh, wow, what a great hostess Martha is. Good job, Martha. What happens if she gets all the pats on the back and all the compliments, but she misses Jesus? You, you can't take a good meal with you, can you? Or the compliments of others with you. The only thing that matters is if you are connected to Jesus. And because she, at this moment, isn't right with Jesus as she should be, it affects every other relationship. She gets frustrated in the moment, and she starts to get mad at her sister when her sister is doing what God wants her to do. She gets mad at Jesus, the very one she's supposed to be serving. She gets mad at him. Don't you care? You see, when we're not right with God, we get frustrated. And it affects every other relationship that we have. And that's why Jesus says only one thing is needed. Remember what I said. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And I just want to let you know, guys, there's nothing wrong with making money. The Bible never says that making money is wrong. But when money becomes an ultimate thing, when it becomes your God, it becomes a destructive thing. There's nothing wrong with having a successful career. But when your career becomes an ultimate thing, it's a destructive thing. Guys, there's nothing wrong with sex. As long as it is carried out within the parameters that God has established in a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's a good thing. God created sex for our good. Can I get an amen? I mean, God created it for our good, right? But when it becomes your God, it's a destructive thing. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with influence even. There's nothing wrong with these things as long as they don't become ultimate things. Because when good things become ultimate things, they become destructive things. And that's what's going on here. When your relationship with God isn't what it should be, it leads to destructive behavior and so much family strife, sexual impurity, selfishness, betrayal, greed, fighting, tension, anger, you name it in our relationships is due to the root cause of not being right with God. Because when you're not right with God, this is what happens. When you're not right with God, we stop showing grace and we start griping. You know, instead of our first response being, let me show this person grace and figure out why they're doing what they're doing, which is what God has done for us, right? Shown us grace. And the more that you are closer, to, uh, the closer you get to God, the more you understand his grace for you, but that he's shown you. But instead of showing people grace, we immediately start griping. And if you don't think that's true, get on social media. People would rather gripe than do anything else, wouldn't they? But we stop showing grace when we start griping. Martha's griping about Mary. We also, we stop resting in God's acceptance and we start chasing the approval of others. We start chasing approval elsewhere. That's what Martha's doing here. Martha wants for everybody to think she's a good host. 
She wants for her community, her neighbors, to think that she's a good host. She's more worried about the approval and the praise of others than having Jesus' approval in this moment. We also, we stop praying about our circumstances and we start trying to control them. What if Martha in this moment, when she started to feel herself getting frustrated, we've all been there, you know, you ever start to get a little bit upset and your neck starts to feel a little hot or something, you know, and you just feel like you're starting to get mad. What if in that moment, instead of us just reacting, having a knee-jerk reaction, we stopped and we prayed? We said, God, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm upset, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, I don't know, but just help me understand what I need to understand in this moment. What if we hit pause and just prayed rather than trying to jump in and control the situation ourselves? But isn't that what we often do? And that's what Martha's doing. What if she just paused that moment and said, God, I'm open right now to understanding what I need to do instead of just jumping in and saying, Jesus, fix this the way I want you to fix this. She tried to control the situation, right? What else happens? Well, we stop growing and we start coasting. See, when our relationship with God isn't right, we stop growing spiritually and we just coast. We think we're all right. And I wonder if maybe Jesus had been in Martha's home so much that she just thought, okay, it's old hat now. She got so comfortable and used to it that it wasn't a big deal anymore. She forgot she needed to keep growing as well. We also stop listening and we start assuming. Guys, love never assumes. Love always listens. And then we stop worshiping and we start worrying. See, we start worrying about stuff that's out of our control. We start worrying about circumstances that we shouldn't be worrying about when we should be worshiping. And this is where the world is right now. When we look at our world right now, it's worried about so much stuff. Everybody is so upset and worried about so much stuff. And so much of what we're worried about is completely out of our control. We're not managers of the universe. And what we should be doing as we worry is worship. Because we know the one who is in control of the universe. And we place our trust in him. And when our relationship with him is healthy and what it should be, when we're connected and anchored to him, we don't worry about what the world worries about. See, when I look around our world today and I see all the relational carnage around us that exists in our culture right now, I think there has to be a better way, and probably you do too. When you hear about families falling apart and marriages crumbling and parents and kids fighting and communities filled with hate and people settling for isolation and nations at war and political polarization, you name it. When you hear about all this stuff going on in our culture today, don't you sometimes say there has to be a better way? And Jesus says there is. Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. What's better? Anchoring yourself to the God who created you to live in relationship with him. You want to know how you change culture? You want to know how you save marriages? You want to know how you restore families? You want to know how you bring communities back together again? You want to know how you end racism and division? It's not by passing laws. Though laws can be good. It's not by tricking people or forcing people to do it. You know how you save a culture? By introducing the culture to the God who created them. 
And when you introduce the culture, a culture, to the God who created life, he shows you how to do life. And he shows you what true love, true loyalty, true help, true support, true satisfaction looks like. He shows you what a marriage should be, what a friendship should be, what a family should be, what a community should be, what a church should be. He shows us what our relationships can and should be. And that's why I love this church. Because we're a church that's all about staying connected to God. We're not gonna lose sight of our mission because we know why we're here. We're here to change one life at a time by introducing the world to God so that they can be anchored to Jesus and we won't drift where Satan is pushing us. And so right now, if you're in one of those relationships that I mentioned a second ago that's hanging on by a thread, again, we wanna let you know we love you, we're here for you. And we want to let you know that God can breathe new life into that relationship if you will let him. And we want to help you find his will for your life, for your relationship, whatever that is. We don't want you to give up. We want you to turn to him and do it his way. But we also want you to know that we're a church that believes that we can change our community and change the culture around us by raising up a new generation that is anchored to God. And that's why this day is so important because today is groundbreaking Sunday. We've been talking about that. And as of tomorrow, we are going to break ground on our new 25,000 square feet uh, facility, First Kids facility. And we can talk about a building, but this is more than a building. This is a resource. This is an instrument, a tool that we believe God is giving us so that we can invest in the next generation. This is where our kindergarten through fifth graders are going to learn more about Jesus, and we're excited about that. And I just want you guys to know something. You guys know that we are having you know, growth across the board in our church right now. It's awesome. But I want you to know this. Last Sunday, which was the week after Easter, by the way, not Easter Sunday, the week after Easter, I got a text message at lunch from our next-gen director, James Summers, and he let me know that we had a record attendance last Sunday in our early childhood. Now, that's our babies through pre-K. That wasn't Easter, so that was the week after Easter. We had a record number of early childhood kids. And you know what that tells us? Those kids are gonna be kindergartners through fifth graders real soon, right? And we're already running out of space. This is a tool, this is an instrument that we need. And here's the thing, the more that we invest in the next generation and we introduce the next generation to Jesus, we will be raising up a generation, raising up a community, raising up a culture that is anchored to God. And it will make a difference in this world around us. I'm excited about what God has in store for our future. And so today we're calling this Groundbreaking Sunday because today we wanna to pray over this piece of ground where we're gonna build this new massive First Kids facility. And we're excited about it today, and I hope you are as well. And so we thought about going outside and doing the traditional groundbreaking, you know, where you go out there and you, you know, take pictures and well, I mean, like I do, and we shovel with the elders and all that kind of stuff. But it was just, maybe invite the mayor, I don't know, you know, something like that. But we just really don't have the time to do that because of all the people that are coming here now, which is awesome. And so we decided instead to do a stage dedication instead. Now, you can still go outside and you can still go out there and we have a photo op place. We want you to take pictures 
out there. You can put on a hard hat and shovel and do that. And if you do that, we have a little gift for you. We actually have, we've had these made up. You can get either or both. We've got these little uh, water bottle stickers, which are very popular right now. If you go like to Colorado or something, you know, people get these stickers, they put them on their water bottles. Like I got one just the other day and I put one on my water bottle, okay? So you can get one. It's got first church, love Jesus, love light Jesus. But we also have these car decals. People have been asking us forever. You guys ever gonna get car decals? We've got some new car decals. So if you go out there and you take your picture in a hard hat, we'll give you as many of these stickers as you want, okay? So you can go out there and you can get them today. And also we've got little plastic helmets for the kids they can take home with them. It'll be a fun photo op. Go out there and do that. But we wanna go ahead and pray for that dirt right here in this place right now. And so, Matt Thomason was supposed to have some dirt on stage for me, and I'm stalling just a little bit because he's not here yet. So, does anybody know where Matt is? Oh, wait, here we go. My phone's ringing. Let me answer it. Hey, Matt, what's up? Hey, Chad, I am out here. I'm getting the dirt. I'm so sorry. I know you are uh, preaching. You're in the middle of your sermon, but uh, I just want to give you an update. I am. Uh, I just need to get a couple more scoops here, and uh, we'll be good to go. I'll be right in there, all right? But you're supposed to be here now. I, like, we don't have time I, to I, wait. I, I we got to keep going. Uh, so let me just finish up. Don't and, cut me uh, off. I'll, I'll no, don't right cut in. me off. Right, no. Okay, well, uh, apparently he still needs to get some dirt. So, uh, while Matt gets that dirt, uh, I guess we'll get ready for him to come inside. Man, look at that guy go. He's just, he's, I don't know. Anyway. Let's do it. I'll be there in just a second, buddy. All right, thanks, Matt. We'll see you here in just a second. Okay, well, while we wait for Matt to get here with our dirt, I've got some friends that are kind of come up here and help me right now. So would you welcome my friends to the stage right now as they come on up? We've got some of our first kids students coming to the stage here with us. Come on up, guys. Welcome. They look a little nervous. Don't be nervous. Oh, here's Matt. All right, right on time. It, didn't that work out perfect? You know, great. Okay, come on over here, guys, to this side of the stage. If we can get this dirt up here, be awesome. And this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna shovel this dirt out. Matt brought it fresh from the area that we're gonna be building. You're all's new first kids building, okay? So he brought it out here for us, and we're gonna get some little shovels for you guys, and we're gonna dig some dirt Put it right here, and as a church, we're going to pray over this dirt, okay? So you guys got your little shovels here. And we got, oh, we gotta have the hard hats, definitely, for sure. Make sure you got hard hats on. Don't wanna break any violations or anything like that. Have any violations or whatever, any codes. All right, got some big shovels too. Sweet, okay. Now we're all gonna go ahead, and we're gonna put our shovels in together. Ready, come on over, let's go, let's go. Need a hard hat? Oh, yeah, that's my hard hat right there. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Shovel some dirt, and let's put it on that white cloth behind us. There we go. All right, that's awesome. Sweet. Okay. Now, if you guys want to, let's just gather around this dirt, and we can all put our hands on it, and I'm going to lift up a prayer. And if you guys would, would you stand up with me? And if you wanna point your hands towards this dirt, you can, and uh, we're gonna lift up what God's gonna do in this place. So let's pray. Father, this dirt right here is symbolic of the great work that you are doing in this place right now. And as we are here this morning with our hands on it, we just ask that you bless the ground where this new First Kids facility is going to be built. Father, we pray that it is more than a building, but it is a resource, it is a tool where you will introduce the next generation to your son. Father, we humbly pray 
that you will use it in ways beyond our imaginations and that we will impact as a church the Owasso community and beyond in ways like we never thought possible. Father, I thank you for the growth that you have given our church. I thank you for the opportunities that you are given, giving us right now. And Father, I just pray that we can continue to move forward where you want to take us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.